Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you guys here with us for episode 88. As you are all aware, I'm sure, there are, there's breaking political news this week, and so we are just going to dive into it. And that breaking news is the rise of global warming. Um, it has hit unprecedented levels. Dan, would you like to comment? <laughs> I would. There was a moment there where I really was actually scanning our show notes, and I was like, wait, did I miss something? <laughs> global warming isn't the news. <laughs> I'm trying to now. I'm trying to imagine what event would have to happen. This is one of the problems with global warming. If you if you were convinced that global warming is an existential threat, you have the toughest sell in the world because it's happening so gradually, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would be the news that made it the breaking news? Well, and most breaking news in global warming is that is a new prediction about what's going to happen in the next. Yes, yes, years. that's right. The new the new panel the the intergovernmental panel posts its new report and and the news is we've taken the most extreme scenarios that they put as extremely unlikely and we're throwing them up at you and saying scientists say that this may happen if we don't change course <laughs> it's usually how it goes but yeah speaking of this the good may news happen. is we're not melting this week ladies and gentlemen maybe gradually but not this week speaking of this may happen that brings us to the actual news that's happened this week which is a this may happen. The Supreme Court has not ruled on Roe v. Wade, but a draft opinion has leaked, which is unprecedented. And the leak has revealed that at least if that draft holds, the Supreme Court has a majority to overturn Roe v. Wade, which means that I would say at this point it is very likely, and I would even say most likely, that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade this year. But they haven't done it yet, which is an important distinction. Yeah, I've heard June, July. I'm not sure if there's a set schedule for such things. There may be, but people were pretty confident that June or July is when the decision should have come out. Mm-hmm. We've got a draft early because of the leak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so there's there's quite a few things that we want to talk about in this episode about all of this. Um, number one, I'm just going to say it right here, right now. We don't want to talk about the issue of abortion on a moral or ethical level. We don't want to dive in into into the into the core issues about being pro or anti-abortion. We want to focus on several other things that we think are more pertinent to this issue here because this issue here is actually not about necessarily just abortion, but it's about so much more than that. It is about so much more than that. We'll talk a little bit about you know people's reactions because of the 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 fact that it does touch on abortion makes it something makes it a lightning rod in politics. It has a lot of influence. Um, but in yeah, but in terms of our our actual argument and stance on the issue, we have done that. You can find that I believe it's our episode fifty eight, mm-hmm. um, and we talk about it at length, get into the the nitty gritty of the moral question. There are so many things, uh, so many other things here to talk about that we wouldn't have time. Yeah, it's not time <laughs> to, to, to really both. address that. Well, if we yeah. talk if we talk about about abortion, we're not going to have time to talk about everything else that's happened. So, so please, if you're interested, go back listen to episode fifty eight. I thought it was a, a really good episode where we do get into some of the the nuances <laughs> of what is a complicated issue. I don't think it's black and white. I don't think it's cut and dry. I don't think it's as simple as so many people make it out to be, but there are parts of it that are simple. And so it's worth, it's definitely worth having that conversation. We don't, we're not saying that's not important. We're saying we want to focus on some other things. So first things first, what happened? So the Supreme Court is going, is going to almost certainly overturn Roe v. Wade. So the first thing we have to establish is what did Roe v. Wade do? So Roe v. Wade was a landmark Supreme Court case. And when we say landmark Supreme Court case, we mean it's something that was a significant change that set new precedent, which is exactly what Roe v. Wade did. And that new precedent was regarding whether or not the states had a right to interfere with people having an abortion. And so so Roe v. Wade ruled that in certain circumstances, which they broke down into trimesters, the state could not interfere with people having an abortion. In other words, it made abortion legal in the United States nationwide. 
So if this happens, which is most likely, the Supreme Court will be overturning Roe v. Wade, which does not mean that they are going to be making abortion illegal, which some people assume. You know, if, if one made it legal, then the other one should, if flipping the switch back again, would make it illegal, right? That makes sense. That follows. That's not how it works because what they're doing is they're removing the national element from it. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, then the power of regulating abortion is going to return to the states and to the national government. In other words, the states can pass laws regarding abortion. The national government, Congress, can pass laws regarding abortion, but no longer will there be a constitutional protection for abortion. That's a significant change that's taking place here. Right, right. Currently, the way it stands is is you can, the states and the federal government can pass laws regarding abortion within certain limits, and those limits are established by Roe v. Wade. And and there's a minimum, uh, I suppose, right to abortion uh, protected by what was established in Roe v. Wade that is being removed, mm -hmm. which, which in practice means that states that really are opposed to abortion can outlaw it completely if they want to. But there's the, that's the caveat. It's if they want to. Um, I thought it was interesting. A lot of states, knowing that this may one day happen, have already passed laws regarding abortion that would trigger if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned and immediately mm -hmm. become immediate, some of them immediate and some of them gradually, but would eventually become the law of that state. Um, there's, I want to say there's 20 states, I believe was the number, 20 states that, uh, that are set to outlaw abortion in the, the immediate or near future. Yeah, as the, soon the, as this the numbers happens. vary, but I've heard 25 and 26 are yes, the, it, the estimates of how many states, if, if this, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, how many states will ban abortion to some degree? Yes, into, that's exactly the right the right language. To some degree, uh, and depending on, it, on which degree you're going to say qualifies as a ban, you're going to get a different number. Mm -hmm. uh, 25, 26, I'm not surprised that it's higher than the number I read, uh, depending on what you mean by 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 this. Because it's actually, this is the same issue we're going to talk about with polling, but, but questions about abortion are actually very nuanced because people, most people believe there should be some exceptions and where where you put the ban in terms of how uh, in terms of the the time of pregnancy, you know that all of that's going to affect what people think of it. But in practice, the result of all this will be that the states decide. Um, it's my understanding that, and I again, these numbers are are probably weak at best. That the estimate is that this will reduce that if you have uh, say twenty to thirty states that outlaw abortion. What impact will that actually have on the total abortions that are done in the U.S.? And based on based on uh, you know what they're seeing in places like Texas, which have have, have the the interesting law that we've already talked about already, uh, there was a decrease in Texas abortions of about ten percent, mm -hmm. which seems crazy uh, low, Dan. <laughs> which is because because really everyone low. was talking about how the Texas law was going to completely obliterate people's ability to get an abortion. And so to reduce it by only 10% with such an extreme law as people discussed it, you know, why was it so ineffective? Yes. And this is it. This is in a, even if you made it totally illegal in a state uh, under any circumstances, which is probably almost going to never be the case. I would guess that most of them will keep exceptions for extreme circumstances and then maybe even further exceptions depending on the timeline. Um, but if you were to make it totally illegal, the problem is that there are so many states that it wouldn't actually prevent people. You know, the people who wanted to have abortions could still travel in most cases. Uh, and the cases in how many cases exactly, that's what they're finding is essentially 90% mm. of them. They, they figured that if you, this estimate, and again, this is a really weak estimate, which is why I'm not bothering to discuss it. Texas law, Dan, was that a complete, a, a complete ban on abortion or, or was it, wasn't it six weeks? I, I don't recall the details of it, but it also, also, the way it was handled is weird. So these, this is why I these these numbers I'm not so sold on that I'm even bothering to look up the reference. But the the estimate I heard was that this would reduce a total abortions in the United States by something like fourteen percent. I don't know how good of an estimate that is, 
but I would be shocked if it went anywhere above 20%. But the point is that this will allow some states to stop the practice within their state, and then people would travel to places where they could get it. Mm -hmm. And that would Mm -hmm. basically be how it works. Yeah, and I and I so I, I looked at it and I think that's part of it, but I think part of it is that the the very, very early abortions, even with the that you know, that Texas law, for example, are not being stopped. And that's where a large number of abortions are taking place. And so it's uh-huh. actually not having as significant a change as people would, would think. You know, yeah, people yeah. people so, talk about having abortions at these different stages in pregnancy, but the vast majority are taking place in practice, almost all of them are, are yeah. very, very early on. <laughs> and those are the least likely to be banned. And so when you talk about those twenty six states who are going to ban abortion in some cases, the least likely ban is the complete ban, and therefore a large number of abortions are going to continue. Yes, yes. And uh, like I said, I, do, I would be shocked if the total reduction in abortion because of these laws is anywhere is 20% plus or even anywhere close to it. But but we'll see. We'll see how it ends up panning out at this point. A lot of it's just guesswork. This person was basing these numbers on on something that isn't a complete one-to-one anyway, and, and it changes depending on where you're at and how far you have to travel and and other things. And, and maybe this will have a, an effect on the cultural idea of whether abortion is good in the long run. Um, but we'll, you know, all of that is guesswork at this point. So, so one of the first things I want to talk about is about the actual constitutionality of, of abortion in the United States. You know, Roe v. Wade established the constitutional precedent that protected the right to abortion. But anyone who's read the Constitution and the amendments is aware of the fact that there is no abortion clause in the Constitution. And so the question is raised is where does this come from? And in Roe v. Wade, where it comes from is this so-called right to privacy, right? That, That people have this right to privacy. And that stems at least primarily from the due process clause in the 14th Amendment. Well, the 5th and 14th Amendment, because it appears yeah, twice. And, yeah, I was going to say, and initially they, they had more bills, right? Or more, uh, excuse me, more amendments that they cite mm-hmm. to draw this from. They're like, you see a little bit of it here and a little bit of it here and a little bit of it here. And taken as a whole, you kind of get this this picture that there's a right to privacy. Which is which is interesting because when you're taking from multiple sections, none of which have the words you're referencing, <laughs> it becomes a bit difficult. But because when you actually read the 5th and 14th Amendment clauses about due process, they both mention the same thing, which is life, liberty, and property. You know, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, and property without due process of law. Nor shall any state. Now, this is the 14th Amendment. So the only difference is the addition of the state isn't able to do this. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And so that's, as Dan said, one of the places they're drawing this power from when Roe v. Wade was passed, you know, decades ago. And Dan, you explain it well about how how this how how the supreme court so we've talked about the supreme court before and i'm i'm having a hard time taking this seriously because how the supreme so court hard. does what it does is bananas because there there's an argument about you should have strict constructionists or you could have people who have a looser take on how they apply the constitution but the thing is is strict constructionists are usually much looser than people who are actually just reading the documents. You know, strict constructionists <laughs> are much looser than a common sense approach would look like because you read the Constitution and you're like, okay, there is no right to privacy here and there is no right to abortion. And so this is just not a constitutional issue. When we talked about this case specifically before, we, we've mentioned it several times in the context of the Supreme Court. And you're saying that the Supreme Court, the way it works, it's hard to take seriously. I have been surprised as I've learned more of the legal principles and the the jurisprudence and the the various theories of why courts do what they do and how they work and how they decide 
controversies and and that process i've got a, i've actually got a growing respect for courts as a concept and what it is they're supposed to do and how they fit into the overall vision of government there is a big difference between deciding a controversy and writing a law mm-hmm. when the court acts is often we call this judicial activism right when the court when the court looks at a law it, there's an actual case before it a controversy between two parties and it's supposed to decide which party is right Somebody has to. There's a there's a problem here. There's a conflict. There must be a decision. Roe v. Wade decided to completely manufacture concepts about the Constitution, like the right to privacy. They, one of the other places they're looking, you looked at the Equal Protection Clause. You'd think equal protection was pretty self-explanatory, that whatever protections there are should be applied equally. Later on, you get a lot more read into that than there ever should be, and and that's a that's a story for another time. But worse, when they're looking at the right to privacy, one of the things that they pointed to was you can't quarter troops in someone's home. That's one of the actual protections in the Mm -hmm. Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. You can't force people to house soldiers, and they looked at that and they said, "See, this suggests." That there is a kind of sacred part of your life that is separate from the government. They're totally ad-libbing new ideas that are not in the text. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. combining various phrases. We've we've poked fun at the phrasing before the the idea. They literally say that that if you look in the penumbras of the words, the the shadows cast by the words uh, of the text of the Constitution, you can pull in. Uh, you can you can see these implied rights to things like an abortion, and they're just not in there. This is of all of the cases you could look at. Roe v. Wade is the biggest example of people making political decisions while wearing a judge's cap. They're not they're not doing anything regarding the Constitution. The Constitution has nothing to do with their decision. Yeah, when you when you consider the fact that the Supreme Court's purpose is to rule on constitutional issues, not create new constitutional documents. Right. And that is an important distinction, is that when we talk about the constitutional right to Roe v. Wade, we don't point to the Constitution. We, we, point, we point to, to Roe v. Wade. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's yeah. nowhere in the Constitution you can point right. to, and that's right. and that's evidence of that fact. Right. You could take a million people, and you could have them all read the Constitution, and you could ask them, is there a right to privacy in the, in the Constitution? And every single one of them would say no. Every single one of them. It'd be, it'd be unanimous. Anybody who could read and answer questions about a text would say well, no. Well, not a million people because some of those people will, <laughs> would be, will, be, will be legal scholars who will say, no, Roe v. Wade has clearly established that it's this here. Is, that it's here. <laughs> but that's only you because the they've idea. been – Yes. That's you, only because they've been coached, you know, because they've been pointed to, hey, see here in these, these blank spaces between the words – yeah, and you my, can tell that there was something else that wasn't written, but could have been written. And if it was, it would have changed things. <laughs> and we're talking about this not to make fun of what is a very serious issue. Right. The reason we're talking about it is because the constitutional case for abortion as a constitutional right is simply not there. There is no constitutional case. And so what what does that mean? Is that That means that... First of all, this Supreme Court case, this Supreme Court ruling that's been leaked is one we're definitely in a, fa- a fan of. You know, if we're not making that clear, then we're not doing a good job here. Obviously, we're a fan of this because there was no reason for Roe v. Wade to be created in the first place. We want Roe v. Wade to be overturned. Yes, regardless of – and I think, I think that's a stance people can have regardless of what they think about abortion. That whatever you think of abortion, the decision – through the Supreme Court, and we could talk, we've talked more about the Supreme Court elsewhere. That decision coming through the Supreme Court to essentially, I don't want to use the word lie, because that's that, that seems to, <laughs> to create something by your judicial authority that totally creates something. Not, not find something, not explain something, not distinguish something, which is what they're supposed to be doing. 
but totally create something in the Constitution that wasn't there was a mistake. I was just thinking about it. You, know, you say that and everyone's like, no, of course not. We can't feel that way because they're doing something that we disagree with politically. And, and the thing is, is looking at it that way is incredibly problematic because if, if the Supreme Court is right only when they agree with you, regardless of what they're actually doing, you have a serious problem because if people really feel that way, then the end result of that is that the Supreme Court is just going to be used as another political tool, you know? And the Supreme Court, instead of overturning Roe v. Wade, if the Supreme Court justices really are just conservative puppets like people say they are, then the next logical step would be for them to make abortion illegal yes. nationwide. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's yeah. there's no space for that in the constitution but who cares because it's not about the constitution it's about whose side you're on you know what i mean and then let's go and we can we can do other things like that etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's not the purpose of the supreme court and if that's what the supreme court becomes that's a very serious problem you know people are talking about this as this huge overreach of the supreme court to be overturning Roe v. Wade, but Roe v. Wade was a Supreme Court decision. And by doing this, what they're doing is actually reducing the Supreme Court's power, not increasing it. Yes. And that's an important yes. distinction that needs to be made regardless of your ideological beliefs on this one issue. Yeah, I'm so glad you pointed that out, Brad. The worst case scenario here, if you if you are pro-abortion, the worst case scenario here is not repealing Roe v. Wade. It's finding in the same way that original court did that, that decided Roe v. Wade, that abortion should actually be illegal. And they could do that. They could, they could read into the penumbras of the text the fact that, uh, that it is a time-honored tradition in the, in the U.S. jurisprudence to protect the right to life. Therefore, abortion is illegal. They could do that. Yeah, there's as much of a case for that as there was. There's a better for case protecting for protecting abortion in terms yeah. of in terms of American history, because that was mm -hmm. that was the common law uh, stance. Um, they haven't. What they've done is they've said the Supreme Court made an error in deciding this for everybody. Now we're going to give it back. It goes to back everybody. to the legislatures. This has changed the battleground. It has not decided the outcome. It's only changed the battleground. And it and it's done so rightfully. I was I was really surprised uh, uh, by some of the text that Alito wrote. Um, I found that I agreed with it, which is which is which is a pleasant surprise uh, to 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 read them say exactly that. To say, look, we do, we know we don't know how this is going to pan out. We don't know what the consequences of this are going to be. But the courts should not have decided this. The legislature should decide this. And he's right. Uh, if you look at the way that the, the the U.S. government is set up. You have a body that expresses the will of the people and creates law. And that's not the Supreme Court. And you don't want it to be the Supreme Court, especially right now if you're liberal. If you want the Supreme Court to make law, you're in big trouble if you're liberal. Right? They would, as Brad said, they could outlaw abortion, and that would be a, that would be a mistake. That'd be a, a be, it'd be unconstitutional if that word mattered, right? <laughs> it would be a, it'd be fundamentally against the way that the the country's been organized. Yeah, it would be clearly a misuse of their power. You know, we we can I think we can all agree that would be a misuse of their power, and that's exactly what it was when they did the opposite all those years ago, and now they're simply undoing that. Yes, yes. Um, I, I a lot of people are really worried that this is indicative of a of a broader trend and i just don't see how that how that could how this could then play into something else but we'll get it we'll get into the political implications of this decision and this is this is a serious problem because people are are consistently misunderstanding what's going on here you know what i mean and misunderstanding even how this how this works. There's a fantastic article from ABC News, and I always say fantastic right before I bash them. But uh, and and they're discussing they're discussing this you know this ruling, and I'm gonna read a, a quick excerpt from them where they're quoting from this leaked document. Quote: 
Until the later part of the 20th century, there was no support in American law for a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Zero. None. No state constitutional provision had recognized such a right. End quote. So that's them quoting Alito in the, the document. And then they go on to say, Alito writes at one point, but recent public opinion polls indicate otherwise. That statement floored me because here they go clearly quoting where Alito is talking about that there was no case in American law for a constitutional right to obtain an abortion, that no state constitutional provision had recognized that right. And then their rebuttal to that is recent public opinion polls, which have nothing to do with historical law. Even if people disagree with those laws, that doesn't actually mean anything to what Alito is saying. Alito's not talking about popularity. He's not talking about what people want. He's talking about what the laws actually said. What were the laws on the books? What were the constitutional provisions that are being looked at? You know, this is how we decide Supreme Court cases. So let's decide them that way. And they're like, no, 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 no. But you don't understand. We've done opinion polls. And the problem is, is that they're writing that and they wrote that over a day ago and no one's corrected it. No one's come back and been like, yeah, we look like idiots saying this because people read that and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People want abortion. Therefore, the Supreme Court should rule this way. And that's not how this system should be working because these are not elected representatives. You know what I mean? If it's, yeah. it's just what people are asking for is not something they really want. Yeah, especially if you like democracy, which, which seems like what generally people want. <laughs> you, you don't want the judges making, making decisions about the laws. Uh, there's, another, there's another one on a similar vein. If you, if you read articles, and we're going to go through a couple more. If you read articles that are, def that are, that are attacking this opinion, they often do things like what Brad was just saying. They appeal to, to current polling. Um, the other thing they do is they, they conflate things and, 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 and mix up the history in ways that should be embarrassing. Uh, this is from Andrew Feinberg. He's a White House correspondent. He writes for, you know, he writes for Politico a lot. He writes for all kinds of groups. And he, he talks about that same basic idea. So uh, the brief preliminary idea for this is that the Equal Protection Clause right now is understood in our legal jurisprudence to imply certain rights, as Brad mentioned earlier. What rights are determined by, uh, by commonly held uh, rights within the American tradition? Um, they have to be, there's, there's two qualifiers to them. I'll pull it up, but they, they have to be necessary for ordered liberty and they have to be, uh, established in the American tradition or the common law, as we said. So those are And the so two. to clarify, Dan, what you're talking Please. about here is, is an instance of where they're gaining that right to privacy apparently out of thin air. They're saying, yes, in the right to liberty found in these equal protections clause, they're, one of those liberties could be privacy if you can demonstrate this, this, and this. Because it's not clearly stated, there needs to be something that was already in existence that you can point to in order for it to be justified. Right? Basically? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. So this is, this is from his article. So he points out that the draft majority opinion, quote, the draft majority opinion spills a good deal of ink on the history of abortion regulation in England and the United States, and his parenthesis, skimming over as it does the considerable periods in which abortion was left to the free choice of women. But precisely this kind of appeal to a history of close regulation can be made in respect to the Second Amendment right to bear arms. I'm going to pause the quote there for a second, just comment on that. The majority has pointed out that, hey, Abortion was not in the history, though he suggests they're skimming it, and actually a right to abortion was. He's wrong, but it's his assertion. Then he says, wait, 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 but this same court will hold up Second Amendment rights, even though in the tradition, Second Amendment rights have been regulated. He then cites some historians on this issue, 
And there's a centuries-old tradition of common law rules regulating weapons, especially when they are carried into the public sphere. This has not stopped the conservative justice from creating a novel individual right to bear arms and extending that right against both the federal and state governments. Close quote. The idea being, <laughs> actually, it may seem like there's a pretext here from Alito and company showing that there is historical reason to exclude this. But if they were being consistent, they would have to say there is no right to bear arms because there's a history of regulating it. In fact, they have, as he phrases it, they have, this has not stopped the conservative justices from creating a novel individual right to bear arms. I don't. So what? <laughs> Sorry, these quotes are tricky because you don't want to say anything afterwards because you're just blown away. Because what's happening here is this, this crazy conflation. Because in one case, there's not an explicitly stated right, this right to an abortion, which is based on an also not explicitly stated right to privacy, which is drawn from several different areas of the Constitution, including this, this Equal Protections Clause that has certain requirements that were basically set up by this by the Supreme Court precedent in order to be justified. That's the one case that's happening here with abortion. To then describe second amendment rights in the same way is insane because it is an explicitly stated right. And so to to describe them as being equal in the way the Supreme Court deals with them is nonsense. It's ignoring how the Supreme Court's actually supposed to work. He's and he's got to know this, right? These people, I that that's what bothers me about this. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to read the difference between the second. <laughs> I mean, not spoiler alert. It's called the Second Amendment because it's explicitly in the Constitution. The right to abortion and the Second Amendment being conflated in this way is ridiculous. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, here's the explanation of why, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Maybe the reason we treat the right to bear arms differently is because it was not created by a bunch of conservative justices. Maybe, maybe it's because it's in the Constitution. And a constitutional lawyer or a constitutional justice would see that and think of it differently than the right to an abortion, which is not in there. And not, and you have to really, 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 really stretch to even pretend it's implied. Right? That I can't believe he's arguing in good faith here. Yeah, to argue that these two are the same. To be like, that abortion and, and Second Amendment rights are on the same level, and so you need to be consistent in how you're looking at them. Yes, constitutionally. No, that's not how reading a document works, right? <laughs> there are things in the document and there are things not in the document and the two should be treated differently. And that's not, I, I, I feel like that's probably, it probably sounds very arrogant or, or rude, but he can't, I can't believe that somebody with the capabilities to rise in the reporter world can be that blind. So, and and he's not Dan, and this is and this is what I really want to talk about here. And people may be wondering where we're going with this. This is where I'm going with this. The Constitution was set up a certain way, and it created these institutions, institutions like Congress, like the executive branch, and like the Supreme Court. I say like that, but those were the three institutions they created. Those were the institutions. Like this is it. This is the package they've made, and these are the yeah the mm -hmm. rules they've set up, and our entire government is based off of those rules and those institutions. And today, people no longer care, not just about the Constitution, but about the institutions that the Constitution has created. People no longer care how the Supreme Court is supposed to work. People no longer care what the arguments are, the legal arguments or the principled arguments. All they care about is their ideology and their sides. And that is the main problem that I'm seeing with 
this entire thing, but especially with these news articles talking about what's going on, is that they've clearly chosen a side. I mean, a lot of these news articles make a big point of pointing out that when it comes to the American people, it seems like more people are for abortion than against abortion. In other words, there's a majority side they can fight for, aka the winning side, and that's the side they're going to fight for regardless of of anything else. It's not about reason. It's not about logic. It's not about law. It's about ideology. And that's a dangerous precedent, not just for the Supreme Court, but for our entire political system. If everything can be thrown out in order to support your ideology, then what we have truly is mob rule. And anytime the other side wins even a little bit, they're going to use every ounce of their power to crush the other side. And that's something we've talked about before, and we'll talk about it again. And it's truly disturbing to see. It is. You, it's war. It's war. Mm-hmm. It's war. It's the idea that uh, you win at all costs. And, and, there, and anything goes to yes, win. There are some people who are, are more than happy to see the old institutions crumble. Uh, they're they're perfectly fine with the with companies and media com- and media groups picking a side and finally finally fighting joining the fight in in earnest. Uh, we lose a lot when that happens. We lose a lot when a newspaper goes from being I want to report the news and I want to speak as as common the common kind of journalist ethic of. I want to speak truth to power. I want to be the voice of the voiceless. And they go from that to going, I'm going to side with one of the two political parties that is by definition virtually, you know, half the half the country. So this is not a this is not a minority at this point, however much both parties pretend like they like they're uh, under attack all the time. Um and they you sacrifice so much for that. The Supreme Court actually faces controversies that need to be decided. And there's actually questions that need to be answered. And instead of doing that, they're going to play politics. And they, they've done that. The, the trend across the years is that they do that more and more. And uh, ironically, this is actually a push in the other direction. This is not playing politics, at least in the same way. Um, and maybe, maybe it is for some of them, but in terms of the actual decision, the Supreme Court justices, some of them may be politically motivated, but at least what they're doing is not turning the Supreme Court into a political instrument. In fact, they're taking the Supreme Court out of politics and bringing the politics back to where it should be, which is with a democratically elected government. Yes, yes, which is, which is odd. Uh, it's been a long time since the power has been pushed back towards where it should be, where a president wasn't like, Hey, you know what? I don't think I'm going to step up and try and do this. This really is Congress's job, and they should do it. Um, Congress, we, we've Congress is the fundamental problem. It seems like in terms of in terms of they they're not making decisions where they should be making decisions. In some cases, it's cowardice. In other cases, it's it's a uh, it's political game and things. Uh, for some reason, the Supreme Court is left to pick up the slack and the president is left to pick up the slack. So we, we get all excited because the president actually does things. So when a new president is elected, it matters. When a new congressman is elected, it almost never matters these days. And that's a failure on the, on the institution of Congress that's, that's, that through the administrative agencies, the Supreme Court and the president, uh, the, the growing executive power, they, uh, They've really shirked all their responsibilities. And, and the, the result of all this. Uh... And, and Dan, that may be worth noting here is because as all these news articles are talking about what's going on, they talk about how they use words like most Americans or the vast majority of Americans are on the abortion side of this issue. Yes. And, you know, the, the, the pro-choice side. And if that were the case then why would everyone be freaking out? Because doesn't that mean that Congress would quickly pass a national law protecting the right to abortion? You know what I mean? If it's so yeah, yeah, clear yeah. cut that basically everyone's on the same side, you know, if 75% of the country agrees 
that abortion rights need to be protected, then bing, bang, boom, protect the abortion rights and we're done. Yeah, I've The got reality, a, though, is that it's not nearly that clear cut. I've got a great statistic, Brad, that says it is that clear cut. Let's hear it. It says, most Americans, then it gives a number, and I'm going to skip the number, gives a percentage. Most Americans believe abortion should be legal across the U.S. Compared to 19% who think state government should be able to legislate elections and 21% who say abortion should just be illegal. So you've got these these other smaller groups. But most and Americans, most Americans, what was the first thing that most Americans believe? Believe abortion should be legal across the U.S. So, as okay. you said, that that can translate very directly into the state, into the the national legislature. Not even the state legislatures, which can decide, of course, but the national legislature could make a law applies to every state that uh, that that regulates this. What kills me about this is the word most. I I really want to the listener to think for a moment. If I say most Americans believe something, what percent of Americans is the acceptable minimum for me to use the word most? Does it have to be, I think extremely high would be nine out of 10. That would, I would probably say that's the overwhelming majority, you know, or the you know, 80%, 70%. Is that most of Americans? What about 60%? Yeah, and see, I I would say two thirds to three fourths is what you need to say most. Because most. even if you have fifty one percent, you know, if you have fifty one, you know, if you're at a party, you're bare majority, yeah. and there and there are twenty people there, and eleven people want to do something, and nine people are opposed, you wouldn't be like, most of us are into it, let's do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, most yeah, of yeah. us want to watch this movie. No, you'd say we cast a vote and we barely decided to watch this yeah, movie. Yeah, a majority. Not most of us want to watch it. So most implies a little bit more than a majority. That's why I'd I think, say two-thirds so, or three-fourths. The numbers here, and this is from the New York Post, is 47%. <laughs> Would you say 47% of America thinking something is most of America thinking something? It's not even a majority. Less than half? That's the kind of numbers we're basing these things on. You, what's the highest number you've seen, Brad? In terms of, and part of the problem is that the polling, the way you ask the questions about abortion, you get wildly different answers. Mm-hmm. You wildly different answers. Uh, the phrasing of the question is extremely important. In fact, there, there may not be another issue where you get as much variation depending on which specific question you're asking Yeah, and how you phrase it. And we've looked at just a few of these poll numbers because all of a sudden, all of these news agencies have started throwing up poll numbers to back up the claim that everyone agrees. And the more poll numbers they throw up, the more clear it is that people don't agree. (laughs) Number one, because we're getting wildly different poll numbers from different news agencies that aren't even close. You know, you've got 47% there. You know, you're seeing you're seeing some that are in the high 50s, but very wildly based off of the wording of the question, which tells me that people are not sure. That people aren't sure about abortion because depending on how you word the question, they will give you different answers. Yes, there's a significant portion of them in the middle, For example, a bigger than usual portion that vary. For example, ABC News, the same article I was poking fun at earlier. I'm almost done. This is probably the last time I'm going to poke at them. Um, they they have a quote here, you know, talking about this survey that uh, ABC News and the Washington Post did together. So this national survey released Tuesday reported that 57% of Americans oppose an abortion ban after 15 weeks. Now, first of all, they just said oppose an abortion ban, which is a double negative. And so you know that's a difficult question to answer correctly when you're hearing it over the phone. Because if you're listening now and you're like, can I see the text because I'm confused? No, I'm calling you over the phone. Just deal with it. Um, 50, 58% say abortion should be legal in all or most cases, which is weird. It's all or most. So it's not, it's, it once again leaves that open. And 54% say the court should uphold Roe compared with 28% who say the ruling should be overturned. These numbers, when you actually look at them, get pretty weird. That first one, 57%, oppose an abortion ban after 15 weeks. In other words, specifically, they are not willing to ban abortion after 15 weeks, which means that they're in favor of allowing people 
to have an abortion after 15 weeks. But in the next stat, 58% say abortion should be legal in all or most cases. In other words, there's at least 1% of the people who responded to this study who believe that abortion should be legal in at least most cases, if not all cases, and yet when given a specific scenario about banning abortion, said, yeah, we should ban it after 15 weeks. Right? Yeah. That's not consistent. These numbers aren't consistent even within a single poll because the questions and how they're worded and how well the people understood the question during their phone call are going to be wildly different. You say right, but now I'm thinking about it because I have to go back through the wording. That would Those are terrible questions to ask on the phone. Even as you're speaking, and even this is the second time I've heard them, I'm not quite sure there's an inconsistency there, but I'm not positive. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's it, yeah, weird. It, it raises the question. It's not clear cut. It's not clear cut that those numbers follow each other where you read these numbers and you're like, yes, 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 yes. To be fair, when I read this poll to Dan the first time, he misunderstood that first question. I'm sorry I to did. throw you under the bus. No, there, no, I did Because it's a double negative. Using a double negative is going to throw people off. It does every single time, which is why one of the writing rules I learned early on is is you don't use a double negative if you want people to understand what you're saying. I'm not sure they do, though. I'm not sure they want people to understand what they're saying because that's how people use polls is to get the results that you want. Yeah, it's it's weird. You'd think that a poll – there are some polls that are trying to find out what people think. And then there are our modern polls, which try and convince people that it's already been decided. And so they, well, and, <laughs> they they try and convince people of all kinds of things, right? You can you can it, actually move a bill forward by showing that it's favorable. Thus, you're incentivized to show something, or that it's unfavorable, mm-hmm. right? You can you can mm-hmm. actually change politics with a poll. At which point, there's incentive to use polls, and are polls flexible enough that you can actually use them and and sway influence, you know, change things by the way you phrase questions. Absolutely. Yeah, that's Absolutely. been well documented. Yes, you There's can. many polls proving it, which means that either polls can be manipulated or they can't be manipulated. And those polls were manipulated in order to fake falsely prove that, <laughs> thus proving that polls can be that's manipulated. Brilliant. This is the – I've you heard like this. what I did there? Yeah, I've heard this before. Something about uh, one who always lies and one who always tells the truth, right? Yes, it's exactly. Like, it's like that. The, the, the legal it's puzzles. Like you can't have it both ways. Yeah, it polls absolutely are are subject to manipulation. By changing, I saw one that you you could you could change, you could move it thirty percent by phrasing the question differently. So there were two polls asking essentially the same question. There was a thirty percent variation. That's it's really really high. And abortion, for a variety of reasons, is perhaps the worst polled topic because of this. You ask specific questions, you get different answers than if you ask the general ones, even though they should be implied and it just, it's hard to tell. Yeah, the, end, the end result is that someone who is 100% against abortion and someone who's 100% for abortion might end up not indicating that by the time they're done with a five-minute poll. Not even people who are somewhere in the middle, but people who are diehard on either side are going to be misrepresented because of how the questions are phrased. And even taking that into account, the high numbers we're seeing are high 50%. Mm -hmm. And often things like 47% believe abortion should be legal across the US. That's, that's, and that's a, I mean, we could look at this, these statements all day, but 47% believe abortion should be legal. What does that mean? Does that include in if do I believe abortion should be legal if I believe that in the cases of rape and incest there should be exceptions or the mother's life yeah, is at stake? Yeah, and now you're in that group. Now yeah. I'm so in that how, group. Right? How how what the question is, is phrased does this changes tell you about yeah. abortion and what mm-hmm. people in the U.S. think about abortion? Virtually nothing. Now, virtually nothing is the is ultimately what it tells you. But when all you have is weird legal arguments. And co- comparisons to the Second Amendment, <laughs> like, right? What do you what do you do? You revert to polls. Um, mm-hmm. It's as, as if that says something about what the legal, what a court should decide in terms of the legal principle. 
We're going to jump into the fun question. Enough of, enough of the legal jurisprudence and enough of the, the things. We we obviously, we think the decision was made rightly. Obviously, we think the counter arguments so was far made, have been- Was made rightly? Was made right. <laughs> let me put this the weirdest way possible. <laughs> I mean, I like that. You know, it was made rightly. We don't need the word correctly anymore. <laughs> or to put it in Be- terms of that poll, we oppose- not upholding you, Roe v. Wade. I assume you meant that the that the decision was made rightly we because support. they sided I with the right, the right? Uh, you know, it's a conservative <laughs> decision, so it was made rightly. There, there we go. It was made rightly. Maybe I'm, if they had made it leftly, things would be better. I'm over here trying to make double negative jokes, and I made it wrong. Just trying to get the double negative thing right or left. <laughs> the real question is, why on earth would somebody leak this? Right. The legal, well, not the real question. Another the real important question, question. Another important question. Ultimately, your opinion of the Supreme Court won't affect them. Um, it can, I guess. I guess you can put political pressure, and that's one possible explanation. Why would somebody leak this early? First off, it is singular. This has never happened. No one has ever leaked an opinion before it was released. Usually what happens is all of the opinions, you, you get the majority opinion. Well, for, I mean, how far back do we want to go? You get the discussion. They decide, they figure out basically where everybody is, and they ask somebody to write opinions representing their thoughts. So the nine justices have various opinions. You find people you agree with, and uh, and through the in part through the leadership of the the chief justice, uh, you decide who's going to be writing what. And you're free to always you're always free to write your own concurring or uh, or dissenting opinion. So then what happens is you get somebody who who feels like they can frame it all frame the majority opinion. This is the key decision. Everything else hinges around it. So it has to be done first. That's what was leaked is the supposedly the majority opinion. That majority opinion, this is what would happen behind closed doors. It would be written. It would be sent to the people who agree with it. They would read it. They would say, I still agree with it. Maybe we should change this, tweak this, adjust it. If there are principles, you know, serious things on which they disagree, they have to decide whether they still agree with the decision. Or if they need to write, you know, if they agree with the overall decision and need to write a concurring opinion modifying it, or if they can go along with everything in there and just sign on. Um, they can also sign on to everything in there and write a concurring opinion giving additional reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Concurring opinions are essentially, I agree that we're getting rid of Roe v. Wade, but I have something else to say about it. <laughs> Is, and you can, you can put whatever you want in there. Obviously, you can't write that until the majority opinion is written. Because you're differentiating yourself from the majority and opinion. And same same goes with the dissenting opinions, yes. which are then based off of that majority opinion. Right. And and this is important because when it comes to precedent, what these justices write matters. Yes. It's going to be referenced Especially the by majority other opinion. courts yes. and by the Supreme Court in the future. And so these words are incredibly important, which is why you have this back and forth, which is why they can decide something. And basically vote on it and be done in February, but <laughs> yes. not release the, the opinion until the summer, until the summer is because these middle processes absolutely matter. They do. And then and then it's all released at once. When, it, when the decision comes out, you get the majority opinion, you get concurring opinions, you get dissenting opinions, you get the whole thing. And the majority opinion becomes, uh, depending, <laughs> it's, it's funny the way it works. Sometimes majority opinions are not actually supported by a majority of justices. But this one, it looks like this one, it's pretty safe to say that it'll at least get five, maybe six, but it'll get five. So why, why release this? What are you trying to do? Well, the reason you might release it early, the first reason, and I think this is the most obvious one that people will turn to and thus worth, worth citing is one of the two most obvious ones. Maybe you want to change the justice's opinions. This is where this case is going. But if you provide enough pressure, enough social pressure, or, or maybe something more, more nefarious, and maybe, maybe you're, you're telling someone that this is the, your opportunity to do something horrific, poison a judge or something, you know, mm-hmm. you can, some conspiracy theory, right? This, this would be a way to do it. You release this. People go, this is where the court is heading. We need to do something about it. The pressure comes. Maybe a judge changes their mind. Maybe one of the justices turns. 
which for the record, I think is unlikely because these justices are not idiots. They understand that Roe v. Wade is the most famous Supreme Court case that has ever taken place. If you ask, you know, a, every single American, what's the case you know, it's going to be Roe v. Wade. They know any, any others. yes. It's also the most controversial case to this day. And so the, these Supreme Court justices know that- yeah they, yeah, they didn't accidentally stumble into this situation. Yeah, so they know that their decision is a huge deal, and they've taken that into account before they decided anything they decided in February. And so finding out early is not going to change their opinions. That's my personal Yes, belief. and they're specifically insulated by the Constitution. They're protected from uh, – there's no, there's no elections for them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's no uh, interference in a variety of ways there. They're isolated in a way that lets them do their job as judges as well as uh, – without – with as little input from the outside as possible. In fact, of all of the branches that you want to respond to the will of the people, this is the last one that's going to do it, <laughs> right? They're appointed for life. They were probably – most of them were appointed before anyone was paying attention to them. They don't – Yeah, because it's not supposed to be about politics. It's supposed to be about the law, which we covered earlier. Right. But the other area – where this will have an impact is actually not with the Supreme Court at all. It's with the midterm elections this year because this decision is going to reframe what people are looking at when they get to the midterms and decide on who they're going to vote for. It's going to affect, it's going to affect first Democrat turnout because Democrats have been on top, which tends to, to decrease their turnout. Biden's been lackluster, which also tends to decrease turnout. And so having an issue where they feel like they're losing, which you, you can easily argue because it's a step back. You know, yeah, they yeah. had a protection and now they no longer have a protection. In other words, abortion is on the table on a national congressional level, which is going to be an incredible rallying cry for Democrats running for office this midterm. They say, hey, we need to take Congress. We need a strong majority in Congress so that we can put in national protections versus Roe v. Wade. You know what I mean? In fact, it would actually be bad for the Democrats, even if they had the power now, which I don't think they do, it would be detrimental politically for them to protect yes. Roe v. Wade now. It's better for them to say, we can't do it now. We don't have the votes. Vote for us this fall. We'll get the votes We'll pass it. Yes, it will. It, the goal here would be to recast or to reframe the the midterm debate in terms of women's rights. Something that they they know they have a lot more support on than, as you were saying, Biden's current policies and failures. <laughs> and it, especially when you say things like women's rights, yes. instead of, hey, here's this nuanced issue. Yes. Where exactly are we supposed to draw the line based off of this criteria and this criteria? No, when you say it like that, it's a nuanced issue. When you say, are you for or against women's rights? Yes. We're going to get the votes. Oh, right, right. You, If you want to scan Twitter or TikTok or these other things and see how people are reacting, that's that's the language that that the uh, the activists, the uh, the people, the news people even are using. They're saying this is about women's yeah. rights. This is an assault I mean, on women's rights. Hillary Quint Hillary Clinton tweeted, "Quote: It will kill and subjugate women, even as a vast majority of Americans think abortion should be legal. What an utter disgrace!" You know, I mean, that's the language that's being used about. Yeah. Not even a law. It sounds like they they just banned, like abortion, they banned abortion right there and then. Yeah, but that's the kind of language people are using. They're already prepping for that reframing. Yes, yes, that's right. That that sets off the battle of the next few months leading up to the midterm, uh, in a way that the Democrats could knock it out of the park. Whereas without something like this, what do you do? Right? What do you, without something. The, the, they were headed for disaster. And so does this change things? Ironically, the things that this changes the most has nothing to do with abortion. It's everything to do with the, the political power pendulum and how, in which way it's going to swing with this midterm. It looked mm -hmm. like it was going to swing towards Republicans hard. They were going to get a lot of seats. They were going to take Congress. They're going to take the House. Uh, 
and uh, get a majority in the Senate. With this, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, it, it it depends on what happens over the next few months, but it's definitely a curveball, and it's definitely very good for the Democratic Party. Yes, it may not be good for Democrats, but the Democratic Party aren't is not Democrats. They're two separate groups here. <laughs> yeah, yes, and one of them is definitely going to be benefiting. One of them from is this. looking for power in the next election, and one of them is just an ordinary person. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Which which leads to the final question we wanted to discuss, which is why uh, – not why would someone leak this? Who? Who would do this? Um, it's worth noting that the Supreme Court is a fairly closed loop. This is when, – when a government agency leaks something, we're just like we, – most of the time we just shrug. And it is what it is. And most of the time, it's in, as a general rule, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> like if you – and not as a, not as a general principle – but just in terms of when I look at them, generally I conclude in government is yes. generally a good thing. Yes, we want transparency. So why why did something leak here? And more importantly, why has something never leaked in the entire history yes. of the Supreme Court? How is it that the Supreme really Court the has avoided here. the leaks in the past, and now at this point is leaking something big that's going to influence political elections? And and the reason it hasn't in the past is because it's been an incredibly small incredibly prestigious institution that when you work for the Supreme Court, you understand that you are are playing an incredibly important and in many cases people would consider a sacred role in the government's function. I mean, you talk about these law clerks who study law, being able to help craft the law is an incredible opportunity, an incredible honor, and that's something that generates a lot of loyalty. When you're only yeah. talking about maybe 50 people who see these documents before they go out, who are all part of this incredible process that generates a lot of loyalty. Which goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that that loyalty in institutions isn't there anymore. Yeah. What people have loyalty to are ideologies. People don't have loyalty to even principles, even ideas like integrity and honor that you you were entrusted with this document that you knew you were not supposed to share with the public, but you did it anyways because you disagreed with what the Supreme Court was doing. And that was more important than your agreements with the Supreme Court. Yes. It's a, it used to be that there was a social cost that you could, you could do this and it might affect the election, but it would destroy your career and it would destroy your, uh, you know, your life. People would people wouldn't trust you. Mm -hmm. The crazy thing is that the culture has shifted so much that I, it's very possible they find who did this because it's such a small group. There is an official investigation that's begun, and it's and I don't know how likely it is. Uh, it, I mean, it could be that this is from an outsider. Someone could have hacked it, um, but it's probably an insider, and that's a small group of people. And when they find out who it is. It's not just them. It's the people who recommended them will feel the backlash, right? People who mm -hmm. – and you have to you have to go through a lot of people to get to, to be a clerk to one of these people. Um, it could be – I mean, it could be a Supreme Court justice themselves who leaked it, but unlikely. Um, and now the irony is that it could make their career. I mean, if you're the person who did this and you turned midterm elections single-handedly, with a mm -hmm. brilliant political maneuver where you yeah, leaked something you that reaffirmed hero. the election. You are a hero. Not at, and before they might have, you know, they would have capitalized on it and then you would have been shunned. You'd mm -hmm. have been a martyr of some kind. Now you're not even a martyr. You're probably going to be elevated. Because your career is not over. Yeah. 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 Your career isn't over. You're, you're, it may, your time at the Supreme Court is probably over. But you may go from there to the mo to becoming famous, right? To becoming a star, mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a win win. It's a win win to betray trust and loyalty into into uh, into burn your opportunity in favor of political ideology, and that's happening in every business all over. This is this kind of push is happening. It, it, truly, these the parties have become the new gods. Where you sacrifice yeah, and, and, everything to them and are, and are rewarded for it. 
and and because it's a war, anything goes. You know, yes. Sacred rules are no longer sacred anymore. You know, the Geneva Convention is being thrown out along with everything else. You know, and this is an example of that. And I think we're going to see more of that in the future. And things are going to get a lot uglier in American politics. Yeah, yeah. We probably in sound the next few years. We probably sound like old men. Because this is this is the you know, the institutions. <laughs> it's the- hey, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty old, you know. I just turned 28. <laughs> You're ancient. You're on the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the but there is something. But but the the shift in culture does frighten. Not the a lot of the institutions I didn't care for from the beginning. Uh, some of them were good. Some of the political institutions. There's wisdom and, and so on. There's I guess there's a nuanced view there. Uh, but I'm I'm much more open to changing institutions than most conservatives are largely why I'm not conservative, at least a, a key part of it. But but do I want to live in a place where where you're celebrated for betraying them as long as you betray them for your party? For the right reasons. No, I don't. I don't. Do I want to, where, where lying is rewarded as long as you lie for the right, for a political movement? Are you a kidding? A place where, where it doesn't matter how the Supreme Court reached its decision. It only matters if that decision is what you agree with. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, that. Yeah, the whatever your professor says is fine as long as it fits with an ideology and, and, and doesn't you know, bother you in terms of your polit- politics. I, I think that's a that is a monolithic world in which we are all living in fear of one another and, and where the world is driven by something that should be secondary. Politics should not be the number one thing in your life. And with that, keep listening to Rethinking Politics. (laughs) And with that. (laughs) Where we will bring politics front and center. (laughs) Have a good one, guys. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.